are listening to the Ancient Abandoned Podcast, episode 15 for Thursday, July 12th, 2018. Don't be a jerk or ungodly combative Christianity. Answering the post-Christian world. My name is Dan. I'm your host and the chief editor of AncientAbandoned.com. And it has been a good long while since we've had the last episode, and we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, but I hope everyone's doing really well. Uh, again, I know that uh, some of you would prefer to have more frequent episodes come out, um, but with everything going on in my life right now, it's it's just too busy. So I'm I'm shooting for monthly episodes, and hopefully we'll be able to stick with that, and it'll be uh, a bit more manageable. Um, you know, time-wise and everything like that, managing work and family and other things that are going on. But um, in this episode, I wanted to take some time and discuss the increasing combativeness that I've been seeing from a lot of Christians lately. Um, of course, it's not just Christians. It's been everybody, but I've noticed it within Christians a lot, too. I, I felt like it's something that needs to be discussed, and so we're going to talk about that. Um, we're also going to catch up on some of the big news that we've missed since the last episode, and of course, uh, as always, we have a music pick, um, but first things first, we have some housekeeping I want to go over. Um, so in the last episode, I, I made mention rather of uh, a number of projects I'm working on. A couple of them are some ebooks that I'm working on, and uh, just want to give you a little brief update on that. I haven't done too much on on uh, the uh, the longer book that I'm working on, but the the devotion that I'm working on called the Teachings of Jesus. I have been working on that. Um, right now, I'm still kind of on schedule, tentative schedule, to release it uh, and sometime in early September, so be praying for that. That'd be great. Um, that one will be available for anyone to download who wants it. I'm going to try and get it on Amazon, um, probably on like the iBooks app for iPhones and tab and iPads and stuff like that. Um, and of course, I'll have it on the website, so you can just go there and get the pub version of it if that's what you'd like as well. Um, Another news, uh, something you guys could be praying for me about personally, which I would really appreciate, is the job search. Um, I've kind of kept you guys up to date over the years of my educational process, um, and now that I've got my degree and I've got some certifications, I'm looking for work, and uh, the IT industry is proving to be more difficult to get into than I was anticipating, and I think part of that is probably because I am looking for a job that pays a little bit more so I can help take better care of the family and stuff like that. Um, and the other reason I'm looking for a job that pays a bit more is uh, something that I wanted to let everybody know about. Some of you already know who know us personally, um, but for those of you who just listen to the show on a regular basis um, or who maybe are discovering this for the first time, um, my family and I are working on an international adoption right now. So we're I'm going to be adopting a little girl from India, and it's a very expensive process. It's very time-consuming with all the paperwork. Thankfully, uh, my wife is handling most of the paperwork, um, pretty much all paperwork and I'm just kind of signing off what she needs um, and I'm so thankful for that because honestly I, I'm more worried that I would screw something up in the process uh, it's a lot of legal stuff a lot of things that have to be um, you know approved through the agency as well as through the U.S. government and the Indian government. So there's a lot of moving parts involved with it. Um, but that's something that we're, we're working through right now. We're really excited about it. I'm not sure how much longer it's going to take. Um, it could be anywhere from another six months to 
maybe nine months before this process is all said and done. So I'll, I'll keep you guys updated as we go along when there's announcements to be made. Uh, currently, we finished our home study, um, which is the first step in the process, and it's been accept we've been accepted into the India team with our adoption agency. Uh, so the next process is to um, have them go through and review everything, make sure everything's good to go, and apply for the immigration um, clearance uh, with USCIS. Um, so if you could just be praying about that, about the entire process. Um, I can't give you her name yet, but I will be happy to uh, later on once we've cleared the process. And that's that's a legal thing, I believe, within, with the Indian government. We're not allowed to do that. So I can't really talk about it too much. Um, but we're really excited about it. Um, our kids are really excited about it. And it's going to be... Uh, you know, a really long, arduous process to get through this, but once it's all said and done, we're going to have our little girl home with us, and we're super excited about that. Um, so, with all that said, um, getting back to kind of show-related news, um, the next release uh, for the podcast, I'm going to try and put this on more of a regular schedule. So, my goal is to... Uh, release the podcast on the first Saturday of each month. So that would mean that the next episode will be out on Saturday, August 4th. Um, you know, things might come up, things might change, but genu you know, generally speaking, that's what I'm going to be aiming for. Um, and I'll let you guys know if that changes anywhere in between. Um, as far as the blog goes, uh, you know, have some been too terribly active with it, but um, I did get a, a new uh, post up yesterday. Um, or this morning, rather. Sorry, my times are all off. Um, but you can feel free to check that out. It's a blogging through song post um, featuring Heathens by 21 Pilots. It's a really, really good song. Um, I'm not sure if they're a Christian band. They're not, they're not like designated as a Christian band, um, but a lot of their songs have, you know, heavy Christian tones to it, if that makes sense. And, and I'll kind of touch on that in the post. Um, so if you're interested, the song itself is from the Suicide Squad soundtrack. Um, I never saw the movie. I have no interest in seeing the movie. Um, and the rest of the soundtrack is pretty atrocious, so I wouldn't recommend listening to it. Um, it's, you know, I don't really have any problem with, with rap or hip-hop as a genre. Um, just the content of the lyrics from what I heard listening through some of it. Um, was really really inappropriate and so I don't recommend it the song itself is really good though if you can get the single or if you can uh, you know you can just listen to it online too but it's a really good song and it kind of touches on uh, at least for me when I listen to it it made me think of uh, the way that we sometimes as Christians interact with the unbelieving world and it also you know it, it's just uh, read the post. It's hard to explain, but you can find it at ancientabandoned.com slash heathens. Um, again, I think it's really good. It, it really touches on a lot of what we're going to be talking about in this particular episode as well. Um, and a few more updates. Uh, social media stuff. we got some new stuff going on with that. I've kind of revamped the Facebook uh, page uh, for Ancient Abandoned. I haven't really done much with it because I didn't really like Facebook. I uh, recently got back on it and kind of have been taking a bit more of a healthier approach where I'm not really focusing on you know everybody's politics and stuff which is something that I, I trapped that I fell into um, over the last few years and I kind of got off of it because of that because of it was damaging relationships and it was stressing me out and it was just really aggravating um, but being back on it now um, I've been enjoying it a bit more and I realized you know that it is a good platform it's a good tool um, to kind of get the content from ancient abandoned out there <clears throat> excuse me so you can go to ancientabandoned.com i'm sorry facebook.com slash ancient abandoned um, and follow or like or whatever it's called on facebook i don't even remember 
um, and well, on there, I'm kind of posting updates, doing polls, discussions, and things like that. Um, if you, <clears throat> excuse me, if you enjoy what you're listening to, if you enjoy reading the blog, I would really appreciate it if you would go and like the page, just so that way we can get that all situated and sorted out. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's up there, and I set up a Twitter account as well. I enjoy Twitter. Um, I've been avoiding, you know, avoiding the politics thing again. Uh, I think it's a really unhealthy way to handle political discussions and even deep spiritual discussions because, you know, you're limited to a short a short post. And most people on Twitter honestly don't really want to have those kind of discussions, so it's very unfruitful. Um, but it's kind of been a fun way to, you know, to share the to share the blog and to share the podcast, but also to be able to. Um, you know, look and see the discussion, the mood of the culture, at least in the social media sphere, and seeing that, um, being able to respond to it in real time, uh, rather than having to sit down, you know, a week later or a month later and try to speak on it or try to write on it. It's like, you know, just here's a, here's a short little response, um, still thoughtful, still trying to be, you know, fair in what I have to say and trying to be, uh, you know, open and honest about it. Um, but an opportunity to kind of respond to things in real time. And so it's just a fun little thing to do there. If you're interested in, if you're on Twitter and you're interested in following it's uh, it's at ancient abandoned. So it's super easy to find it on there. Um, and if you are on these platforms again, please like follow and share it with others. I would appreciate that. Um, but we're going to go ahead and get into the news. So one of the benefits of recording these episodes less often is that it makes it makes the news section a lot easier to put together because there's a lot more to choose from. So when I was doing these shows weekly or trying to do them weekly, um, it would be really hard to find things in the news that were not strictly politics because at least at least on my news feed a lot of it tends to be things about Donald Trump a lot of things a lot of a lot of it seems to be things about um, you know the way he's governing the country or about the Supreme Court or about the Congress or or things like that or what Angela Merkel in Germany said or what's going on in England with all their stuff that they got going on um, so one of the things that I like about doing this show less frequently now is that it makes it a lot easier to find good quality content to talk about uh, as far as the news goes um, so today I want to look back at some of the major news stories from the last month and to, to kind of spend a little bit of time giving them more consideration than we would get from the normal major news outlets because, you know, we're not here trying to, you know, appease our sponsors or to, to get more advertisers or to get more viewers so that we get more advertising dollars. That's not what this is about. This is about, you know, a thoughtful discussion, but it's also about taking a look at the things that are happening in our world and approaching them from a biblical worldview. And so the first thing I want to talk about is the persecution of the church. Um, this is something that, as Christians, and again, I'm speaking to I'm speaking in this way because I know that not all of you are Christians, but as Christians, we understand that persecution is a natural part of the Christian life and the Christian walk, or at least we should. Um, anyone who tells you otherwise, to be honest, is either biblically illiterate or they're probably not really, uh, you know, understanding what it means to be a Christian. Um, you know, we worship Jesus Christ, who who suffered, he died, he lived a homeless life, you know, he would stay with friends on occasions, he would sleep outside on occasions, he didn't, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the verse of the scripture, but he talks about that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, um, and that a prophet is not welcome in his own home, things like that. Um, so we understand the, re the reaction that people in the world have to the claims that Jesus made, and the claims that we make as Christians because we believe in him. Um, you know, it's important for us to pay attention to what's going on to others elsewhere, because as much as we can talk about religious persecution in the United States right now, um, 
and as, as annoying as it is that there's this attack on religious liberty and things that are like that are going on in the legal sphere and the political sphere, we have it so much better off than places all over the world. Um, and that's not to diminish or downplay the things that are happening here. I think that we should be involved with that, and we'll talk about that another time. Um, but these stories come from all over the world, um, and it's really heartbreaking and it's tragic. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, there is currently a genocide going on against Christians in Nigeria and another one going on over in, uh, in Myanmar or Burma, whichever you prefer to call it. Um, and I'm sure there's other ones going on elsewhere. I know there's a lot of conflict going on in South Sudan. There's a lot of things going on all over the world. Um, of course, China and, and uh, North Korea are two infamous locations where Christians are persecuted. Um, so, anyways, I'm kind of getting off topic. The, the news uh, for this week uh, headline reads: Christianity crackdown, families living in fear as angry mob drives them from the village. Um, and this, these uh, first three articles actually all come from the Express, which is a UK newspaper or a UK website, um, and it talks about Christian families from an Indian village near the Nepali border that they were beaten and driven from their homes by Hindu radicals after refusing to renounce their faith in Jesus. Um, police and authorities in the region have been unwilling to help them uh, despite reports being filed the regional government of the Indian state of, I'm going to try this one I'm not really sure uh, Chakarand, I think is how you pronounce it um, they passed a law late last year outlawing religious uh, conversations which is in violation of the Indian constitution at large I think it's article 25 is what they said it was um, which protects the free, free exercise of religion so um, the second article uh, reads, uh, sorry, uh, reads, church attacked by mob in Nigeria, genocide crisis is what it's uh, subtitled as, and it talks about Nigeria's religious crisis. It continued last week uh, with the burning of 17 homes, uh, a church, and a hospital. Um, the, uh, the week earlier, 238 Christians were murdered in militia attacks in Nigeria's plateau state in the middle of the country. And according to the um, to the Christian Association of Nigeria, as cited by an article, uh, 6,000 Christians have been killed since January 1st, 2018. Um, it's a campaign of violence that is being conducted primarily by the Islamist terror group Boko Haram, which has had a, a history of targeting Christians in this country, in Nigeria. Um, and I'm sure most of you remember Boko Haram's name uh, from a few years ago with the kidnappings of the of the Nigerian girls, um, and eventually I, th I believe they were all rescued after a while. Um, but they're also you know the notorious terrorist group that run guns out of um, out of Libya into Nigeria, um, things like that. But there's also apparently been uh, another group that have been participating in this genocide against the Christians. They're known as the Faladi Herdsmen, uh, and they're a part of the population um, that's participating in this ethnic cleansing situation that's going on there. So as far as I understand it, Nigeria is very, uh, very high Muslim population in the north, very high Christian population in the south, and which tends to lead to a lot of conflicts in the area there. Um, so just pray for, uh, pray for Nigeria, pray for um, this family in India, pray for the families in Burma who are going through this, or Myanmar, whatever you want to call it. Um, the third headline comes from, again, from the Express, and it is, uh, priests stabbed in Bethlehem as religious, uh, as religion shrinks in conflict. And it talks about a Christian priest who was, uh, this is down in, uh, for those of you who are not aware of the geography of the area, uh, Bethlehem, which is the birthplace of Jesus, was, uh, or falls in the 
Palestinian territory of the West Bank. And so these people were coming to visit, uh, I believe it was the Basilica of the Nativity, which is the big, the big Orthodox church that's there um, over the observed birth site of Jesus. And um, this priest who runs the place was stabbed on June 1st. He was leading a group of visitors in there and uh, his name was Father Fadi Shalufa, and he was stabbed through the gate of the church. Um, after closing it to secure the, the, the visitors, uh, he got into a verbal altercation with a Palestinian man who was part of the group that was threatening the visitors with violence. Um, thankfully, his wounds were minor, and he's recovering from the attack. Um, but according to Open Doors, which is a, a nonprofit organization, um, the Palestinian territories rank 36 in the persecution watch list against Christians. Um, of course, there's everything else that goes along with the Middle East. Eastern conflicts, but um, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in, in the United States and in our culture, I think it's really important that we keep our eyes open. It's okay to focus on what's going on here and to be engaged and involved in what's going on here, but we also need to make sure that we're not turning a blind eye to everything else that's going on in the world and to recognize that while we may be in the beginning stages of coming into a, a season of I, I struggle to say persecution because I, I feel like that would insinuate something significantly worse than what we're facing now um, but it's important to keep that perspective if that makes sense so pray for our brothers and sisters and just pray that God would give them the grace and the strength to overcome this and you know, whatever he leads them to, whatever situation arises, that he would be glorified in it and that they would be able to stand firm. Um, the next next bit of news that I wanted to cover um, goes to the, the major decisions and the announcements that came out of the Supreme Court over the last month. There's been a lot that happened with that. Um, again, you guys know my, my degree is in interdisciplinary studies. Part of that is religious studies and part of that is political science. So I'm really interested in political science, uh, particularly American government and international relations. And as far as you know, the American government part of that, I'm really interested in uh, following Supreme Court decisions. I think that they are vastly overpowered as far as you know their role within our government and their role within set, you know setting up policies. But I think it's really important to follow them. I think it's really interesting to to see the thought process behind some of these decisions as well, because some of them just don't make sense, and to see you know their take on previous Supreme Court decisions. Um, but the first one, of course, was the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision, which came down a few weeks ago, I think it was now, but it's one that we had kind of talked about a little bit here and there um, over the, the course of a few episodes in the past. And I'm not going to spend too much time on it because, frankly, it's been so long since these decisions came down that I'm sure you've either heard about it or read about it, or if you're not even interested, then why, why, why bother getting into it? Um, of course, that was the decision about uh, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Um, violating his uh, Jack Phillips, I think is his name, the cake, the cake shop owner's uh, First Amendment rights to freedom of expression of his religious beliefs. Um, in the decision, it was very narrow in scope, and so it, you know, it was, it was passed, or it was a seven to two decision, so it wasn't narrow in terms of passing or, you know, being ruled in favor of Jack Phillips. But its scope was very narrow in that it really only applied to that specific case. So it didn't really set a precedent toward, uh, you know, any future religious liberty kind of things as far as that goes. Um, so expect to see another case in the next little while, I'm sure, um, about, you know, the, the importance of non-discrimination versus religious liberty. 
um, which you know it's contentious I think but I, I have my own views on it which I'm not going to talk about at the moment but we'll talk about it another time uh, the other ones that came down were the California Adoption Center decision this is another one that I think is really important for us as Christians to uh, to be praying through um, I know some Christians who are pro-choice I don't get it and I don't really you know, nothing you're going to say is going to change my mind so I'm just going to be totally open and honest about that um but I feel like this was a very important decision. Uh, in California, they had tried to basically pass a law saying that any um, like Christian adoption agencies um, or Christian clinics that were offering care, prenatal care, postnatal care to, uh, to mothers, um, they had to also have signs up advocating for abortions as well. And I f that's just something that's very foreign to me. You know, maybe it's because I live in the South, and because he down here we tend to focus more on individual liberty kind of things. Um, again, it's not perfect here either, but it's a clear violation of the First Amendment rights that this that these organizations have to be able to advocate for what they want or not, and. Um, so the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the adoption agency, saying that they did not have to to post, you know, notices about the availability of abortions in other areas, um, which I think is great. I think that was a, the, the thing that was the right decision. Uh, it was well written. If you want to, if you want to check it out, I'll try and have a link in the show notes to all these decisions as well. Uh, they're pretty lengthy. You can usually uh, just read the abstract of it to kind of get the general idea. But if you want to see what the individual justices thought, um, Gorsuch has really good views on these things. Um, What's his name? Uh, uh, Clarence Thomas has really good views on these things. Alito also is really good on these things. Um, those are the guys that I particularly align with more. Um, I know those tend to be the conservative judges or whatever, but um, that is what it is. Uh, going through, and uh, the union, used, union dues decision also came down. Um, again, I think it's important for us as Christians. I think it's less important for us as Christians as the other two decisions were. Um, the reason I think this is important, this decision basically said that uh, that public sector unions are not allowed to collect dues from somebody who's not a member of the union, which sounds obvious, but apparently um, in some states that was a thing where they could just take dues from you even though you weren't a member of their union. Um, and this is only applies to public sector, so this is like government jobs. Um, but basically, the reason I think this is important is... Um, in American politics, we have a really big, I would say, problem to an extent, um, though I understand the need and necessity of it, um, of having massive lobbying organizations that come into to Washington um, to basically push for legislation that benefits them. Okay, so that's just the way our government's set up, and I understand the necessity of it because it helps to, it's basically like collective bargaining for that unions have against employers. It's collective bargaining in a way for citizens to be able to, you know, come with more of a presence than just an individual person trying to be heard by Congress. Um, but a lot of these organizations pour millions and millions of dollars into the coffers of these politicians um, to try and get their their position passed and as a result it can often lead to some pretty questionable things now the the reason why i say this is important to us as christians is if you are a member of a union or if you're not a member of a union um, first off you shouldn't be forced to pay dues to be in a union when i was 14 years old i got a job as a bagger at kroger grocery store in bloomington indiana and it was not a very good job to be honest. I mean, I just didn't like it. I, I had I got the job because I think my parents told me I needed to get a job. Um, it didn't last very long. It lasted like two weeks, and then 
I didn't really want to do it anymore and they didn't really want me there. So we kind of just made a mutual decision to, to let me go. Um, but one of the things that really bothered me was that I was a 14 year old kid. I was bagging groceries as a part-time job and I still had to pay union dues because in Indiana, apparently it was a union job. And I just never thought that was fair. You know, it's like, this is my money. If I don't want to be part of this collective process, I shouldn't be forced to. Um, but I think it's important that we have this because also in terms of the way that the, these lobby groups go in to Washington and they go in and they try to, to sway American policy. If you go and you look at the, I, I believe it's, I can't remember the name of the website. I'll have to look it up. And I'll put it in the show notes. But there's a website uh, that lists the top donors to congressional campaigns, to congressional funds, uh, top lobby groups that um, that pay into the political the political uh, apparatus, if you will. And the top ones on the list, you know, people talk about the Koch brothers or George Soros. They're on the list, but they're not actually that high. The highest ones are groups like the AFL-CIO, which is a giant union. Um, there's a number of other ones. I think like uh, American Teachers Union or something like that is another one. Um, but these unions, they, they're pushing national policy, national agendas. And to be honest, a lot of times they're policies and agendas that we as Christians aren't going to agree with. And so we shouldn't be forced to participate in that if we don't want to. So that's the reason why I think this is an important decision. Um, again, I think it's lesser in importance than the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision or the California Adoption Center decision. Um, and of course, the, the biggest news that came out of the Supreme Court was immediately following those decisions uh, was the announcement that Justice Kennedy was going to retire. Um, I'm not going to bother talking about this anymore because everyone and their mom's talking about it and a lot of people are freaking out about it. But yeah, that was a big deal. That was a big thing that happened. Um, immigration crisis. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about this because I feel like I'm already running the news really long. Um, and I want to do an actual like full in-depth either episode or maybe just like a, a blog post series on immigration and the Christian response to it, because I feel like it's really important. And especially with everything that happened uh, with the migrants down at the border and the separation of the families, there's a lot to talk about. And I feel like that should be dedicated to an entire episode. So I had it in the notes here to talk about, but we're going to put that off and I'll talk about it in a later episode. Um, the last one, um, I, I want to try to finish off these new segments from now on with something from with some sort of good news because I feel like a lot of the news that's out there is very negative. It's about crimes, it's about corruption, it's about politics, it's about all these things that really are a net negative for us as a society but also for us as individuals who shouldn't be so focused on on the evil and the negative in the world because it's not healthy it's not good for us we weren't made to know everything that we know through the 24-hour news cycle which i think is why so many people these days are starting to really you know fall into depression and needing to be medicated for it um so this one is a kind of a cool story i'm not going to read the entire story um i'll have a link in the show notes to it uh, but it's from a site called the good news network um, which i discovered not too long ago i think it's a really cool site it uh it kind of just pick some like kind of uplifting stories that they find from around the internet and they publish them there and uh, it's a story about this the title of it is young boy sells his toys to care for a service dog who helped save his life and it's really cool so it's about this little boy who he had a service dog that uh, you know for stress and anxiety and some other health issues he had and the dog actually saved his life because he was able to um, he would start barking in the middle of the night 
which allowed his parents to find out that he was having nocturnal epilepsy. Um, and he was able to get treatment for it, so that happened. The dog got sick, and they didn't have enough money. He was, I think he was concerned that they didn't have enough money to, uh, to be able to save the dog, and so he actually he sold all of his toys and his books and everything from his room, took him outside, did a little yard sale to raise the money to, um, to help save him. And they, uh, they all started a uh, GoFundMe for him for it, and I believe it raised somewhere in the ballpark of like $150,000, which is pretty awesome. Um, but anyways, it was a really cool, uplifting story. It was just kind of a, a good feel kind of thing. Um, but that's all for the news. The music pick for this week. Um, just to transition quickly, because I don't want to run this episode too long, um, I want to do something, since it's July, I want to do something in in uh, celebration of America's Independence Day. And so the, the music pick for this week is a song called Revolution Now by Disciple. It's from the album Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, which was released in 2010. Uh, the album, aside from having a fantastic title, in my personal opinion, it also features a load of amazing songs um, if you're a fan of rock and metal, including uh, songs like Collide, Invisible, Collision, um, sorry, Remedy, and uh, their most popular song on there was called Dear X, You Don't Own Me. Um, the album itself debuted number 50 on Billboard's top uh, uh, Billboard 200 charts, uh, and it won the 2011 Dove Award for Rock Album of the Year. Um, Dear X, You Don't Own Me was the most popular song from the album, as I mentioned before. Uh, it reached number one on Billboard's Christian Rock charts, and it was the band's first number one song in their career. So, um, I was never a huge Disciple fan from back in the day, um, but when this album came out, I remember hearing Dear X, and I remember hearing Remedy, and. Uh, I picked up the album, and the whole thing is just outstanding. It's a phenomenal album. I, I can listen to the entire thing over and over. Um, if you like rock music, I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, they, the band's been around since 1995. They've released uh, 11 studio albums and four EPs. Um, so they've got quite a library you can check, you can uh, you can look from, look at, whatever the proper phrasing there is. Uh, but it's really, really good. So here's the song. It's called Revolution Now. seven reads to the angel in the church of ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands i know your works your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false i know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and do not do the and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet you have this, that you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 
This passage, it touches on something that has been on my mind a lot over the last few years. Um, and it's a, it's a trend that I've noticed. It's a trend that many Christians seem to be becoming increasingly disagreeable and combative. And I've seen it from both super conservative evangelicals as well as ultra progressive social gospel advocates. Um, it's not to say that this trend is unique to the last several years. It's just that I've kind of started noticing it then. Um, but... As we can see in, the, in Jesus' letter to the church at Ephesus, it's something that Christians have struggled with for nearly 2,000 years. But before we get too far into this, I, want, I thought we should take a minute to kind of extrapolate some of the prophetic language that's used in this, in this uh, passage of Scripture here. The first one is the number seven, um, I, because in the Bible there's certain numbers that have significance. Numbers like 1, 3, 10... 12, 40, 49, and 50 all have unique importance to, to God's word, but perhaps the most important number of all is the number seven. Um, it appears 735 times in the Bible. When it's seen, it's or when it's used, it's referring to a number of physical and spiritual completion or perfection. Um, when God created the world and the universe and everything, you know, everything in creation, He did it in seven days, and it was perfect. There was no sin. Everything was fine. It was perfectly complete. Um, and it was done in seven days. That seventh day that God rested was set aside as holy. Um, in the Hebrew calendar, they have what's known as the Sabbath year, which we've talked about in previous, I believe in previous episodes as well as in uh, previous blog posts as well. Um, but the Sabbath year was the year on which debts were forgiven and the land was allowed to, to rest. So you weren't supposed to you know, have a big farm and, and harvest and everything. You know, you're supposed to just let things grow the way they grow and then harvest what you need and you know, take what you need for your daily bread, essentially, kind of thing. Um, and that was every seventh year. The Jubilee, which is another big significant time, it was a time when debts were forgiven, slaves were set free, and the Jewish people were restored to their family's inheritance. Um, so, for instance, if they lost their, if they, you know, went into debt or something and they lost their family's land, they would be able to get it back at the, during the Jubilee. It was a part of God's commandments. They had to get it back. And um, that was every 49 years, at the end of the seventh cycle of every seven years. The, the Jews were exiled to Babylon for 70 years as a consequence for the 10, seven, or the 10 Sabbath years that they failed to observe while under godless leadership. So there's another significance there. And I'm sure that there's much more examples um, that I've forgotten or just overlooked. Um, but that's a pretty good start, just to kind of give you a, an understanding of why seven is important. The other thing is the seven stars and seven lampstands. Um, the use of stars and lampstands in the first chapter of Revelation uh, refers specifically to the angels and the church, uh, the churches um, that are being addressed, as well as to the churches themselves. If that makes sense, um, it's not an interpretation. Just so you know, it's a, it's a clearly explained. It's in uh, Revelation chapter one, verse twenty. Um, Jesus appears to John, saying, uh, "As as for the mystery of the seven stars and the seven lampstands, um, something along that those lines." He talks. He says that the. Um, let me find it here. Hang on. Sorry. There we go. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So that's Jesus describing or explaining what the imagery represents. So when we see that in the letters to the churches in Revelation, we can know that that's what is specifically being referenced to. Um, as far as lampstands go, the lampstand in biblical terms is not simply a candlestick as some people might think. Um, 
it was a large lamp that would burn with oil in the night and they would be used to light homes um, that they had big ones that could be used to light the city as well so basically like think street lights street street lamps um, during Sakat, which is the, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, um, which we described in, or discussed in a previous episode, I think it was episode six, maybe, I could be wrong, um, a giant, a giant lamps would be lit throughout the city, giving light uh, to the city in the darkness, which is why it was also known as the Festival of Lights. And in John 8, 12, on the last day of Sakat, Jesus declares uh, to the people around the temple that he is the light of the world. Um, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have life, uh, the light of life. Similarly, in Matthew 5:14, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, uh, he's implored by the, he's imploring the people, um, and to us, to be honest, uh, to understand our role in this life, saying that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and place it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to all of the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we see that imagery of, of lamp and light being used significantly throughout the scriptures um, in the, the parable of the ten virgins that's in Matthew 25 um, it's another re- reference to oil lamps um, it talks about how in, in the parable it talks about uh, the virgins ten virgins are awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom which was customary in the wedding celebrations at that time uh, they were expected to have enough oil in their lamp to keep it lit so that they would illuminate the procession of the wedding feast and half of them in this parable were prepared with extra oil in case they ran out but the other half weren't didn't have any extra and they weren't ready um, so when the the bridegroom came in the middle of the night to get his bride and to bring her back these unprepared um, virgins had to go and get more oil causing them to be left behind as as the procession led on so what we can learn from these passages is that the imagery of the lamp and the lampstand refer in in a broader context to the people of God. So Jesus sets the example for us that he's the light of the world, um, but as we walk faithfully with him, we're transformed and, and made more like him, thus becoming the light of the world that he talks about in Matthew. Um, and by doing so, we bring light to the whole house, that, that being our community, our family, our culture, our, our countries, um, the world at large, if you want to take a big macro look at it. And the last bit of imagery I wanted to kind of look at was this, the idea of stars. So we talked about the lampstand, the other thing is the stars. As we saw in Revelation 1, the imagery of stars represents the angelic beings over the churches, um, but it's not the only place that we see angels referred to as stars. The uh, the imagery of stars is used to refer to the fall of Satan and his demons in places like Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, um, which reveals the initial sin of Satan, Ezekiel 28, uh, 14 through 18, which describes God's judgment on him, on, uh, on Satan, that is. Um, in Luke 10, 18, Jesus talks about that as well, that he saw light, uh, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Um, and we also see it used in Revelation 12, 3 and 4, uh, which we've also discussed in a previous episode, which is uh, the prophecy of the of the, the great signs in the heavens and, and all that stuff. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but, you know, regarding the early chapters of Revelation, there's debate over whether this means that uh, an angel is assigned by God to watch over each individual church, or whether it's referring to territorial spiritual authority, which we see examples of in Daniel 10, um, when Daniel's praying and Gabriel sent to give him a message, but that he's interrupted by uh, what's referred to as the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece, uh, which are demonic beings that are over those particular regions, those particular territories. 
but the only thing that's really clear is that every church is a lampstand and Christ walks with us um, as as he has expectations of each of us and this, the uh, the seven letters to the churches in Revelation two or three are both specific to those churches, and to the churches the church at large throughout history. So it's not just for those people at that time; it applies to all of us at all times, if that makes sense. And so you can you can literally go and you can read all seven letters to the seven churches, and I guarantee you're going to find something in there that applies to you or applies to your church in some way or some form because it's there's such a diverse collection of letters. Some of them are are both reprimanding and encouraging others are simply reprimanding others are nothing but encouragement so it's it's a little bit of everything in there it's something that you should really check out if you haven't had a chance to really read it by yourself yet now um the reason why i want to bring this this passage up i didn't want to just sit here and talk about you know prophetic language and stuff like that the, it's important to to really think about what's being said here so we go back to Ephesians verses 2 and 4 it says i know the works i know your works your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false i know that you're enduring patient uh, that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary but i have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first now, the church in Ephesus was one of the, the first churches that, uh, that Paul started during his second missionary journey. Um, he spent a significant amount of time there during his third journey. I think he was there for like two and a half years or something like that, just, just preaching and teaching there. Um, which, you know, that would have been a pretty cool church to go to where Paul's your pastor. That's pretty sweet. Um, but, you know, the, the point being that by the time this was written, this was a good 50 or 60 years after Paul initially went to Ephesus and established the church there. Um, and what we can say about this is that it was an established church. It was a mature church body. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, you know, being mature believers, they had a solid understanding of Orthodox Christian beliefs. You know, while there may not have been necessarily a, uh, there wasn't necessarily a, you know, a canonized Bible with the New Testament and all that stuff that clearly lays out doctrinal beliefs and things like that. They knew the scriptures. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They understood, you know, the writings of the apostles and the, and were led by the Holy Spirit and things like that. So they they understood sound Orthodox Christian beliefs, and they had a devotion to ministry, which is why Jesus commends them for their work and their devotion to service and their unwillingness to be moved by false prophets and false teachers that came to Ephesus trying to lead others away, which were likely, honestly, with good intentions. Um, however, while commending their devotion to him, he also condemns the Ephesians for their attitude and their demeanor when he says, but I have this against you, uh, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So in other words, what he's saying to these mature believers is that you have sound doctrine and theology, but you guys are jerks and you got to start being nice to people. And Jesus is telling them to cut it out, basically. You know, stop acting this way. Stop thinking that you're better than everybody else. And this is where we come to today, because as I mentioned earlier, you know, this in this culture, at least in the United States, it's become quite contentious in a lot of ways. It seems to me like everything is being politicized. Now, of course, I'm exaggerating. Not everything literally is is politicized, but um, the point remains, you know, a lot of people are just going crazy about politics. And I think a lot of it is because people are just new to politics. And so they're super zealous about things. Um, but it's honestly, it's become very, very unhealthy and it's become very contentious. I think I, I actually read an article um, where 
a political scientist and a, sci and a, uh, a sociologist were talking about the uh, the possibility that uh, the what practical possibility is there that we could be approaching another civil war, and they they rated it as something like 85% possibility, which is not a good sign. Um, so I think you know we should all just kind of take a take a take a chill pill, take a step back, and relax a little bit. Um, if I had to guess, most most of us probably, if not all of us, have read an article with, with a comment section that makes us angry and makes you want to leave, um, you know, not be a part of the conversation anymore, or because you know something nasty is being said. I I think it's also probably safe to assume that most of us have had some interaction with family or friends who've who've been upset with us because of something that was said on social media or something that was shared that they disagreed with or something like that. Um, and I bet it's safe to assume that each of us is probably guilty of doing the same things ourselves. So I've seen it and I've done it. I get it. I recognize it in the past. I've kind of shot my mouth off on things, especially in terms of politics. Um, and even in some dogmatic arguments about things, um, because I knew I was right. And you know what? Most of the time I was right, but you know, I don't know when I read, when I, I remember going back and reading the letter to the church at Ephesus and Jesus really convicted my heart of that sin that, you know, I may have been correct, but I handled it in a way that was damaging to his mission and to my witness. And that's something that we all need to really consider and be aware of as we go through this stuff. And, you know, to be honest, most of the comments that I see from respectable Christians online, they're not theologically incorrect because, you know, they're not really theological at all. Most of them have, have pretty much just been political lately. Um, but I want to be clear when I say this, there's nothing wrong with a Christian being involved politically, um, you know, and being engaged with, with government and things like that. Um, but we can't allow it to become an, an idolatrous part of our lives. So, you know, some questions I think are worth asking, you know, are our politics taking up more time than are making taking up more time in our lives than our time with Jesus? Um, are we reading more news than Bible? Are we focused more on news than prayer? Um, you know, are we more willing to, uh, you know, to share our political ideas than our spiritual ones? And what's the point uh, and the purpose of doing these things and having these kind of discussions? Is it to say how, you know, to have a say in the politics and how our country is run? Or is it to establish a functional heaven here on earth? Because the first one is legitimate and the other one is sinful and, and doctrinally asinine that we really shouldn't be going down that road. That's not any part of a, you know, an orthodox Christian view of things. Um, but... It's an idea. This is an area where I really, really struggle personally. So I'm just gonna be open and honest with you guys. Um, I remember back in 2011 during the presidential primary, uh, getting really excited for Ron Paul's campaign. And one day, um, I was having a conversation with somebody, and and you know, like when you're having a talk with somebody, and the Holy Spirit just convicts you in the very moment with the words that you're saying. Um, I had one of those moments where He was convicting me about the fact that. Um, you know, I spent more time talking about Ron Paul than I did about Jesus. Um, and that was hard to hear. That was really hard to hear. And I had to kind of take a step back. Um, it really sucked. It was, it was like shameful, you know, but, uh, you know, I started getting interested in politics back around 2005 or 2006 or so, sometime around there. Um, and as I've already mentioned, part of my degree is in, is in that field as well. And I find it the process itself interesting and in some morbid way I find it entertaining to you know watch and engage with it and it kind of gets your emotions going and stuff um, 
but like everybody else, I like to have my ear tickled um, by people that I agree with politically or spiritually or whatever the case may be, um, which is something that I have to actively fight against because I feel like when we enter the echo chamber, it can it can often lead to a form of tribal mob mentality that really detracts from who we're called to be. So I would encourage you guys just to be careful because I know not everyone who's listening to this is, is engaged in politics, and that's fine more power to you. It's probably for the best, to be honest. Um, but it's not just politics that this happens in. It happens in all sorts of things. You know, we find things that we're interested in. We find shared mutual interests. And there's nothing wrong with finding like-minded people. But we just need to be very careful. And especially when that interest is our faith and in, in our church community. Um, and we end up shutting others out because of it. Now, I brought up, you know, churches. I brought up our faith. And I did that for a reason because I think it would be it would be pointless and it would be remiss to to only point out the political flaw that I see in myself and others. And if I you know I need to bring up the tendency to stand that a lot of Christians have and and I know that there's going to be some pushback on me saying a lot of Christians or most Christians even um when I say this because people aren't going to want me to broad brush and I don't usually do that either. However, I do feel like stereotypes exist for a reason. And this is something that we've all heard and that a lot of us have experienced. Uh, even as a Christian, like my family and I have really been hurt by a number of churches over the last few years. Um, and a lot of Christians, like individual Christians even. And uh, I'm not going to badmouth individual Christians. I'm not going to badmouth the churches. I'm not going to, you know, go out and say anything like that. But what I will say is that it's really unhealthy and it's really unbiblical. And it's uh, spiritually immature, I would say. Um, I feel like it's important as believers to be able to face the hard facts of reality that we're not perfect, that we screw things up, and it's okay for someone to call us out on it and to even call ourselves out on it because I think it's even more important to be able to recognize it in yourself and to call it what it is. Um, and it's this tendency that I see to stand in judgment of other people, of other denominations, as well as other faiths. So it's true that as Christians, we believe that Jesus, you know, when he says that nobody comes to the Father except through him, um, that it's an exclusive claim that means that salvation, um, or a means of salvation, that means that we can't worship other gods and practice other faiths. But it doesn't mean that we get to be jerks or be mean or be rude to people, you know. Um, by nature and definition, Christians are supposed to be gracious. I mean, we, we worship and we celebrate God's grace. And we're supposed to be like God, so we're supposed to be gracious. And the Bible is clear that we're all sinners. And, and in Romans, Paul talks about um, you know, that nobody is good when compared to God's standard, which is why we need Jesus to save us from our sins in the first place. So it's his grace that saves us. It's not any work of our own. But for some reason, some a lot of us seem to get it into our heads that we're somehow better than we actually are. And we can manifest in a prideful arrogance that condemns us and it drives other people away. And this is exactly what Jesus is warning about with the letter to the Ephesians, where he says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and re repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So just to back up a little bit, earlier I mentioned that false teachers likely had good intentions. And I want to explain what that meant a little bit because I'm sure that somebody out there heard that and and it triggered something in your mind. And I, before we continue, I want to address that. Um, I think it has a lot of implications for today as well. So Jesus said to the Ephesians that you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. So for a long time when I read this, 
you know, I immediately thought of people that were actively evil in their thoughts and in their actions, that they were conspiring to do harm against, harm to do, to do harm to others rather. Um, but based on the understanding that we are all evil compared to God and because we're all sinners, I think that it would stand to reason that it probably wasn't exactly like that. And what I mean is, you know, there are definitely people like that. There are people who are genuinely evil, who are who are predators towards other people. And I get that. I'm not saying that's not the case at all. But what I'm saying is um, a majority of people, from my experience rather, are, equal, are as equally zealous for their views and beliefs as we are about ours um, and that they care for people and want to do good for others. And a lot of my friends are like this. Um, you guys know that I worked at Starbucks for a long time. I've worked in a lot of very secular environments. I just, I just mentioned Starbucks because it's one of the more secular places that I worked. And I made a lot of friends, and a lot of them were not Christians. A lot of them have no interest in becoming Christians. And I've really wrestled with this area as well because theologically and doctrinally I understand that no one is good, not even one, which means that we're all sinners, we're all evil. You know, no matter how good we can try to be on our own, no matter good, how much good work we do, we're ultimately still evil in nature. And it's just kind of hard to, to really talk about that sometimes because when we hear that, people just want to group it together and say, okay, well, that means that you're evil. Not necessarily. Like, the atheist who likes to just, you know, who goes and drinks too much on the weekends and does drugs, he's not as evil as Adolf Hitler in my mind. I mean, theologically, yes, I understand he is in the big picture, but on a, you know, when grading on a, the human curve, it's a little bit different, you know, getting drunk and doing drugs or, you know, genocide and world war. It's a little bit of a different scale there. I think we can all recognize that, um, which I, get, I think is why this is a difficult thing to discuss a little bit. Um, but I, th I, I think you guys know where I'm coming from. I think I, you guys know my heart enough to know where I, what point I'm trying to make here. Um, but with that said, you know, some of those friends were pagans, some were agnostics, some were Muslims, some of them were nominal Christians who, you know, don't really practice their faith, even though they would say that they're Christians in name only. Um, some of them were believing heretics, and some of them were just straight up apostates who turned away and walked away from the faith um, and either didn't believe anymore or claimed that they believed still and didn't. But the point is, is that they were not they aren't conspiring to do harm to us. They were genuinely believing that their views were right, and that even though I find a number of their beliefs to be deeply troubling, that they still had good intentions behind it. Um, I, I hope this is making sense because I feel like I'm kind of going around in circles because I'm kind of processing the thoughts as I'm saying them right now. Um, but I, I kind of I liken it to my own condition that I understand that. You know, I'm still evil. I'm a Christian. I'm still an evil person. I just am forgiven. And I'm being made more like God. Now, even when I was not a Christian, I could still do good things. I could still, you know, help the old lady across the street or whatever, or hold the door for, the, you know, the mom with her small kids and carrying a bunch of stuff. That didn't make me, you know, a good person in God's sight. That made me, a, you know, a decent human being, but it didn't make me a good person. And I guess that's the way I'm trying to explain it is that. You can be a decent human being while still, you know, theologically being evil, being wrong. And evil is a strong word, so it's it's a little contentious to use those terms, especially when speaking with non-believers. But you know, a, a good example that just came to mind 
are the Mormons. So I disagree with their theology, and to be honest, I, I truly, honestly believe that the LDS Church is a cult. Um, but in my experience with Mormon missionaries and Mormon friends that I have from work and stuff, I can say that there is a vast difference, you know, in their beliefs than there are with Orthodox Christian beliefs. But I also believe that they're genuine and well-intentioned, and they're really nice. They're really enjoyable to be around. And to be honest, I can't think of a single Mormon that I've ever met where I've just been like, that guy's such a jerk. Because they're all just super nice, and they're friendly, and they, you know, they'll help you out, and they care about you and stuff. And so this is where I think... Um, we get to the issue where we can sometimes fall into pride and arrogance because of the truth of our revelation. And we need to be really careful about that. But, you know, and I don't want to harp on this too much because um, I think I've kind of already made the point. Um, but the reason I bring the point up is because it has major real world and, and even internal implications. I can count on at least, I can count at least 32 people that I've worked with in the last five years that have all had the same exact experience. And that experience is that they grew up in a Christian home or they went to a Catholic school, they got hurt by somebody in the church or in their family, so they rejected Jesus and they didn't want anything to do with Christianity anymore. They became combative against Christians because they felt condemned. And as a result, they ultimately shut out honest believers who were trying to love and serve them well. And it's something I keep running into it everywhere I go. I, a lot of them were Catholics who have walked away from the Catholic Church, um, but a good number of them were, you know, came from evangelical homes. A lot of them came from Baptist homes, from Presbyterian homes, and it's not how it should be. And I understand that everyone's on their own journey. Everyone has their own experiences, um, but the fact that there's that many people over that short amount of time, it, it's it's more than just coincidence, if that makes sense. Um, but I bring this up because I want to say that we need to get this crap under control. The pride and the arrogance, the combativeness, and this superiority complex that sometimes seems to show its head, and it needs to die. It just needs to die. Um, you know, Christians may be well-intentioned in trying to stop people from living in sin, but as the saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And it's the same sin that Satan and his demons are literally using to get people to his desired ends. And so we need to be really conscious. We need to be really careful about the way that we interact with people. Um, and, and, you know, we'll talk about this a bit more. I think that this is something that is worth continuing later on down the road. Um, but this episode is already getting really, really long, so I want to go ahead and cut it off soon. But I think when we boil it down, I just want to make, make the point that Christians have three jobs. According to Jesus, we have three simple jobs to do. And they're not hard. It's to love God, to love our neighbors, and to make disciples. We don't need to sit in judgment over people. We don't need to condemn them for their lifestyle, whatever. We can disagree with them. We should disagree with them. But it doesn't mean that we should be jerks to them. It doesn't mean we need to sit back in judgment of them because ultimately there's only one judge and we're not him. And until we get that sorted out and through our heads, I don't see how we're going to be making real progress moving forward. Um, and that may be more of a pessimistic view on things. And uh, I'm not trying to be pessimistic about it. I just you know, being realistic at this point. Um, the I feel like the combativeness of the culture has infiltrated the church to a to a point to where even people who are well respected church leaders are being drawn into it and they're having those same attitudes and reactions to people that are completely inappropriate and ungodly. Um so that's all I got for this episode. I hope that you guys have gotten something out of it. I hope that it wasn't too much of a downer. Um, 
but I feel like it was something that needs to be said. It's, a, it's something that I've noticed for a long time, and I haven't really talked too much about, but I think it's important for us to be aware of it, to be, to be conscious of it, to be self-aware of our own sinful proclivities and our, our flaws, if that makes sense. Um, Anyways, with all that said, I want to go ahead and wrap up. Thanks again so much for being here, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, be sure to leave a comment on this episode's page at ancientabandoned.com slash AA15. I'll have it um, the show notes there as well if you want to find some stuff there uh, that was discussed, as well as uh, you know, past uh, scripture references that were brought up in here. Um, if you want to email the show, if you have questions or anything like that, you can go to the Ask a Question page on the website, or you can email me directly at ancientabandonedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow the site on Facebook, as I mentioned earlier, or on Twitter at Ancient Abandoned. And if you have questions uh, you would like answered, um, feel free to reach out to me as well. I would really appreciate hearing from you. I love answering you guys' questions. Um, but until next time, I love you guys, and I'll see you then.